A good day to you all, however, and wherever you may be listening. Today is May 17th, 2021. This is the Friendship News Hour brought to you by Bummer Dude Media. My name is Frank Wertha, and I am joined by Alex Kinsey. Hello, Sam. Hello, sir. How was your weekend? Yeah, weekend was solid, man. Um, I went to bed at 10.30 on Friday night. Nice. It was great. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I didn't do anything Saturday. I golfed Saturday night mm. and then went to brunch Sunday. Yeah. It was a chill weekend, man. Didn't do a whole lot. How about yourself? Uh, my weekend was good. I, uh, had a our buddy, our friendship co-host at times, Patrick Davison. He came and visited us here in Chicago. Oh yeah. Sir Patrick. Yeah. And How it was, was a good time. Good. We played some tennis, got some golfing and some shitty conditions. That wasn't the best part, but. Still, it was it was the most fun I've had playing like absolute dog shit. <laughs> if that makes sense, like it was. Well, you would know it's pretty much every round. <laughs> exactly, but it was it was. Yeah, for some reason we weren't frustrated. I don't know if just the weather was shitty. It was muddy. We just kind of were like, yeah, it is what it is. But really nice course, uh, Blackberry Oaks out this way uh, in like the Montgomery area. Definitely take you out there next time. The carts had the GPS in them and it had the Bluetooth speaker built oh, in. So fancy. living large. Nice. Did you watch nice. those fights this weekend? I did watch the fights this weekend, yes. Oh. Well, I, I saw some of them, yes. A lot of upsets. Big time. <laughs> per- personally, didn't do too good um, on the uh, money end of things, but yeah, that's how it works sometimes. You win some, you lose some. It's true. But you live you live to fight another day, and here we are with tons to talk about, but we should pay off... Uh, our lovely sponsors first, Gun Barrel Coffee. Absolutely. Drinking a good, smooth cup of coffee is a treat all by itself. But when it helps American heroes like veterans and first responders, it is that much better. Gun Barrel Coffee is proud to donate $1 from every item purchased to veterans and first responder charities all across the country. From their medium blend, the Moab, which I've been drinking a lot lately, the mother of all beans, to their Double Dark, the Battleship Roast, and even their CBD-infused blend, the Medic. All of their coffees are smooth without that acid or bitterness you find in a lot of coffees. Uh, they offer 14 different blends and roasts in which you can get in whole bean, ground, or in single-serve pods. Uh, and right now, you can use promo code FNH10 to save 10% at checkout when you buy it at GunBarrelCoffee.com. Gun Barrel Coffee. Damn good coffee. Damn good cause. Now to the show. Damn right. Uh, yeah, great coffee. Having a cup of it right now. Uh, today, we start in Israel. And if you'll allow me to step on my soapbox for just a second, uh, I've got a quick question. And if, if you were to hear the word, if you were to hear somebody described as meek, what comes to mind? I, I would say, you know, someone that's a little quieter and more reserved and, and, and you know, just to themselves, I guess. Timid, yeah. Timid, yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, perhaps your mind goes to a biblical verse. Matthew chapter five, verse five, blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth. In the past, I kind of wrote this off as the same weakness, meek, meekness equals weakness, uh, timid, shy. Um, and those who have been plagued by injustice, shall serve their God and in this life or the next, they shall inherit the earth. Right. And for whatever that biblical verse meant, but turns out this could be further from the truth. So the dictionary definition of meek is enduring injury with patience and without resentment. Or more simply put, being meek means possessing power that is under control. 
when you turn on your car and you keep your gears in park and rev the engine, the horsepower that the car would otherwise exhibit is under control. The car doesn't move, but the roar of the engine lets you know that the potential of power is alive and well underneath the hood. And such an idea exists almost exclusively in Western societies that are built on traditional Judeo-Christian values. Turning the other cheek, being slow to anger, a control of one's emotions to feel what needs to be felt, but to not act out in a rash manner. Now, one could argue that Western society has taken a turn from exhibiting meekness and maybe a slight turn towards the more petty and immature nature of ourselves. But one thing is for sure. The Western values that permeate through our culture do not exist anywhere else in the world, particularly in Arab cultures. Having gone through business school, we were prepared to do business with almost any major culture in the world, right? In America, we touch our index finger to our thumb, creating a circle, and the remaining three fingers stand up. And anyone can recognize this as a symbol for the phrase, okay. In Venezuela, it is a symbol for your butthole. Mm. And (laughs) if you've ever taken a big bite of food and somebody immediately asks you if it was good and you can't talk because you have a mouthful of food and you give them a thumbs up to indicate, yeah, it was good. Uh, If you do the same thing in Iraq, you're telling the other person to blow it out of their ass. Right? So these things don't mean the same thing from culture to culture. And these are small examples of culture differences, right? And you could probably recover from this and claim ignorance if you've offended somebody. There are other cultural differences that are not so commonly forgiven. In the Arab world, the concept of saving face is as important as anything that exists in their culture. In America, especially recently, we have demanded apologies from people and organizations for what we would classify as awful behavior. So it could be something as serious as sexual assault or something as arbitrary as not having enough people of color represented in like a commercial, right? Either way, we make it a habit of publicly condemning ourselves for the sins against society and pledge to make better the specific piece of society that we help damage. In Arab cultures, the very admission of being wrong or losing is a sign of ultimate weakness. If you're doing business in these Arab countries, it would be a good idea to deliver bad news in private because the person you're dealing with will more likely want to save face. In geopolitical terms, there is no negotiation of peace where an Arab nation is forced to make concessions. This doesn't exist. Force is met with force. Strength is matched with strength. Now, many Arab countries hate America, and it's not just because of our differences in values and traditions or that America is a constant presence in their diplomatic endeavors. They hate America because they perceive us as weak. And Arab cultures have a particular disdain for weakness. It's not tolerated. Strategic geopolitical moves are made without the slightest consideration of making a win-win propositions. Arab cultures place a high value on winning and letting you know that they won. So this brings us to the current clash between Israel and Palestine. We, the United States and the larger Western world, have a particular disdain for injustices. It's a widely held notion that Palestine is a nation that has been devoured by the colonial settler nation of Israel and that they have slowly become eradicated of their own land. 
but we view this conflict through our American lens. What we don't see is a hostile group of jihadists who do not have the goal of peace with Israel. Whether Palestine people ask for it or not, Hamas is leading Palestine and making the moves that are setting Palestine on the track that's currently on. Now, let us be very clear of one thing. Leaders of Palestine have no interest in peace with Israel. They seek to annihilate Israel from the face of the earth, and this is not a subjective statement. They have made their intentions very clear. Israel is a powerhouse, and they have more military might than Palestine could ever dream of. Israel has made moves to potentially evict Palestinians from their homes in the neighborhood of Sheikh Jarrah in eastern Jerusalem. Hamas has demanded that Israel remove their police force from the complex that houses the Al-Aqsa Mosque. Israel had no intentions of doing so. And in Arab culture, you don't make a demand without a plan of action if that demand is not met. Their demand was not met. And Hamas has fired over 3,200 rockets into Israel as a result. This was a declaration of war. If rocks had been fire, rockets had been fired into Washington, D.C. from a hostile group, there'd be a city in ruins before you had time to turn on the news. It's easy for us to see the marginalized aspect of Palestine's history and their current plight for sovereignty, but what we falter is in our assumption that they want sovereignty. We must look at the situation from the eyes of Palestinian authority, those who are calling the shots for Palestine. You know you're overmatched, and you have no chance at a successful attack unless you involve other nations in an all-out war, but since saving face is paramount, it will cost a lot more civilian lives than the tragedies of the past week's ongoing conflicts. And it would seem that these two enemies remain gridlocked for some time to come. But simply picking a side on this matter, using your own ideals for justice and peace in the world, leaves you vulnerable to the bleeding hearts of Palestine citizens and children that have and will continue to be unnecessarily killed. But the one question I challenge you to ask of yourselves is this. Do the leaders of this nation, which we so quickly and adamantly label as marginalized and oppressed, want for themselves the, the same thing the world wants for them? I'm not talking about the people of Palestine. I am specifically talking about their leaders. What are their intentions? What should we or could we do to help Palestinians that is in direct conflict with their geopolitical trajectory? In other words, do we understand the situation the way we want to understand it? Or do we understand it as it is? And that is your call to make. I shall step down from my soapbox in three, two, one. That was great, man. I hope we, we our hope is to do more and more of these too, because you know, it, it's super informative. It makes you think, and it's, it's not even us, you know, necessarily telling you how to think. It's just asking questions so that you can kind of form your own opinion on a, on a situation that maybe has become like really politicized or, you know, a lot of people are just looking to social media figures to like, you know, what are they saying? And then that spirals to, you know, maybe something that's not necessarily true. So uh, it, it's, it, it, Frank's making a really good point of, about looking into it from the eyes of the people that are, are actually living through it. And, uh, good job, man. That was, that was great. No, I appreciate it. Um, if, if anybody took one thing out of that, it would just be to really try and understand the situation as it is. And we have a, we have a, a, a habit of making things about us in the here and now when we impart ideas about a, another thing. And in this case, it's really easy to see the suffering and the injustices that are going on, right? 
But what we fail to do is recognize how many times we're filling in the gaps of the story that we don't know, right? When you see mm-hmm. people dying in Palestine, you automatically think that there's an injustice there because you know that Israel is a much powerful nation with much more ability to make something happen militaristically. And that for decades, there's been conflict and Israel has slowly, steadily gained more land because of the conflicts that they've been a part of. But what is not seen is the other side, right? The people that are leading these oppressed groups. Do we know where they're coming from? Because from what I can tell, they're coming from a perspective of total surrender is the only option. They don't want concessions. They don't want peace. They don't want to coexist. They want what they feel is historically theirs. And that is not the same thing. So it it helps, it helps to look at the, the different perspectives and then understand what this culture, what they're about, understand what these people are about, what their mindset is, you know, like jihad is not like it's it's ingrained it's like it's not a thought or a or an idea it's a way of life for these people and it's i'm I'm not saying it's good bad or 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 otherwise i'm saying that's what it is so we have to look at it from where it is not from where we want it to be right well another issue that's you could i mean that's on our home front that, that a lot of people look at very differently, uh, would be abortion. And, uh, today, uh, the Supreme court agreed to hear arguments in a major abortion case for Mississippi that could roll back limits on abortion laws, uh, cemented by the 1973 landmark case, uh, Roe v. Wade, very commonly referred anytime abortion comes up. Um, the top court announced, uh, in an order that it will hear the dispute Dobbs versus Jackson Women's Health Organization, uh, and and that the court is going to hear this case beginning in like October of this year, uh, and that a decision will, will late you know most likely come like June of next year. So ways away before we really have a, a decision on this, but they they are going to hear it. Um, just for some background info on this one, the Jackson Women's Health Organization is the last abortion clinic in the state of Mississippi. Um, and wow, it's only one. There's only one left. Yes. Uh, the case concerns, uh, it's a Mississippi abortion law that was passed in 2018 that bars abortion after 15 weeks with very limited exceptions. Um, the law was blocked by the fifth U S circuit court of appeals. And, uh, under the existing Supreme court precedent, it states that, um, abortion in all the States, uh, may not ban abortions that occur prior to fetal viability, which is right around 22 weeks. Uh, and what that means, fetal viability, it's the point at which a baby could uh, can be like resuscitated at delivery and can survive without like dying, basically, without the mom. So that this is the point at which it's like, I, I want to say scientifically considered a life, but feder- like governmentally or like according to the law, I, you know, it's like science justifying the the date kind exactly. of thing. It's not yeah. it's. Yeah, it's like it's not more or less laws. It is, and ar- like it's kind of an arbitrary number, um, and it's an interesting one because we know scientifically, and 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 
I don't know. I don't know. What are, what are your views here on, on abortion? Get into it, man. What, what do you think about it? Yeah. So for me, it's always been a really interesting issue, man. I Personally, I, I don't support it. Like I, I feel like it's a life very early on. Um, and that's just, just how I look at it. I, I, I don't support it, but that's on a personal level. Do I think my personal view should dictate what the country does? No, I, I, I'm in favor. I'm a pro-choice advocate just because I don't think my opinion necessarily dictates what would, you know, be in effect or what should be in effect for women all over the country that should have a right to choose for their own body. You know, necessarily, like I say, I, I would want that baby to be alive. To me, that's a life very, very early on. Like, as soon as there's a heartbeat to me, that's, that's a life. Um, but you know, a woman should have a right to choose. It's her, it's her body. And there's a lot of, you know, factors that go around that. And we have a, a very big system of kids that are, you know, it, a big foster system of kids that aren't properly cared for because there's, there's so many of them. So to throw another kid into that, if, if a parent isn't ready to accept responsibility, you know, you know, sometimes that's, that's not helping anybody out. So what, what do you think? Well, I, you know, I think it just on its head, it's, it's an awful thing, right? Like nobody, who's going to get an abortion is going there because they want to be there. Right. Mm -hmm. That's not what they really choose in the first place. It's, 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 it's a, it's a backup plan, you know? Right. So it, nobody goes to it personally. I detest it. You know, there's, there's everything that you, I, or anybody who's ever existed that anything that everything that makes us up, it's determined as soon as, we're conceived. It's, it's all there. It's all written and it just needs time. So to me, you know, heartbeat 22 weeks, whenever you can, I mean, that doesn't matter. It's, it's a human when it's, a, when it's a human, when it's conceived it, it, and we know this scientifically, they, they've, they've done studies where they've grown fetuses in labs and they did it one day and then they stopped and they did it for two days and then they stopped and they did it for three days and they did it all the way up to 14 days. And when they got to 14 days, they saw the nervous system starting to form and ethically they stopped doing it. They, the scientists just knew it was a life, right? So if you can create a life in a lab, it's a life when it's conceived as far as I'm concerned. Um, but like you said, man, you got to take these issues head on where they're at and where it's at is that it's legal. Um, and I think it would be a different conversation if we approached it from a, not a women's right to choose standpoint, like not a women's rights issue, but like a human's rights issue. Because I think of it way more of a human's rights issue than it is a women's rights issue. It's just something that affects 100% women. <laughs> I, I was going to say, they deal with a, like 100% more of, of the thing though. Like it's easy for a guy to yes. say that. Like a woman has to go through nine months of, of having like of carrying a child and all the things that go with that on top of the fact of then delivering a child, you know, and, and if they don't, you know, if they're not at the right time in their life or yada, 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 like whatever the circumstances is, like they're the one that has to deal with the brunt of that. And the fact that a, a dad, a deadbeat can say, fuck you, I'm out of here. And they have to deal with it by themselves for 18 years and maybe, or maybe not get child support. So like on the whole, it, it's a human rights thing, but it affects women way more than it affects men. When at the root of it. That's true. That's true. But the reason I think it's a human's rights issue is because it's a human. Yeah. 
And so if you approach it from a, from a human's rights standpoint, you can almost like never make the case for abortion. But again, where, where it's at is that it's legal. And even the, so here's the thing about this. And this is why I'm so very curious in this story, particularly because it's going to the Supreme court and it's possible. I don't think it's likely, but it's, it's possible that things could change. And if you look at Roe v. Wade, the actual law, it never once mentions a woman's rights to choose. The law was put into place for privacy, specifically marital privacy. And it stems from like a, I think a contraceptive law in like 1870 something that then had precedent for a sex toy case where the court ruled that they didn't really have a say in what happened in American bedrooms. And then Roe v. Wade was the right to marital privacy. And that led the way to, so the only reason I'm bringing this up is because the law as it stands is shaky. Like it's not concrete in any certain terms about abortion or even a woman's right to choose abortion. And it's, it's not clear on that. The precedent is privacy. And so because there's a conservative tilt on the Supreme court, I would be very curious to see if anything shifts because I think there's a, a path, maybe not a clear path, but there is a path to, to shifting this law for sure. Well, most definitely. Yeah. There, I mean, now that, you know, Trump's appointees are in there. The, the court is now at a six to three conservative majority. So, you know, it's most likely going to go in the favor of the state of Mississippi in which this would then go to 15 weeks instead of 22. Um, you know, so that, that that's most likely what's going to happen. Um, in a statement, uh, Center for Reproductive Rights President Nancy Northrup said the consequences of a row reversal would be devastating for their cause, obviously. Over 20 states would prohibit abortion outright, and 11 states, including Mississippi, currently have uh, trigger bans on the books, which basically means instantaneously, as soon as as soon as soon a decision was made, abortion would be banned outright. In so, Alabama? In, that, that's in Mississippi. Or in Mississippi, excuse me. Yeah. So it, it, it's saying that in 20 states, they would, like, it would be banned completely. But in 11 of those states, including Mississippi, as soon as there, there is, I guess, legislation in place that as soon as if Roe is overturned, instantly it would it would go into effect, which is I just don't see why it's the, a federal decision to tell someone what they should do, because you like that every situation's different. You know, like it's not it's I don't see why it would be the state's decision to step in and, and tell a person what to do with with their life i, I just you know yeah i would agree with that i, I think in a perfect world we'd see a, a a country that can that can tolerate this being legal and then shift its conversation and shift how we approach sex because it's not to me it's not if you're trying to b- b- legalize or, 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 or make abortions illegal, you're not really attacking the root of the issue. 
And like the root of the issue is why are there so many abortions? And are they abortions that needed to happen or were they just backup plans because something happened on accident? And I think it would be a whole lot less of a controversial issue if our approach to sex in as a culture was a little bit more refined because then in it would be way? something where we could be like, Hey, this is an outlet that's legal for people who need it because let's face it. There's times where it's something that you're going to want to have a legal, clear medical path towards a safe operation like this. I mean, it just, those circumstances exist regardless of how small a number they exist, they exist. And you don't want to shame somebody underground when it's something that absolutely needs to happen. But I think it's such a problem because you see a lot of people who like me or you or anybody else who decides that they put a higher value on human life. Yet we see culturally that we accept a lot of the opposite and it's a hard thing to merge together. So if you want to, I mean, culture is kind of downstream from politics. So if you were to make this illegal, then you would inevitably see the number in abortions drop, but you would never be able to really know how many abortions there are because they're not going to stop happening. It's just like a gun. You can't uninvent a gun. They're here. You can't put that genie back in the bottle. You know how to get rid of a, a baby a pregnancy if you don't want it. It just depends how you go about getting it now. And if it's, there's not a clear, clean medical path towards it, you're inviting a lot of bad shit. Yeah. And I would also say, though, it's not just like the, the circumstances where it's dangerous to their health and yada, yada. Like, in my opinion, even though I don't agree with it, like, I do think that like if someone is just like, hey. I was having a one night stand and got pregnant and like, I don't want to have a baby. I don't even know who the dad is or I don't want to have a baby with that guy or, or like whatever the circumstances, like it should be their right to choose. Like every time you have sex, like are, are, are you basically saying that like you're like anytime you had sex from 16, 17, whenever you lost your virginity on, like, are, are you basically saying that like you were ready to be a dad at that time? Or like, like, is that something that you're accepting at that point? You know? Like, or is it just an accident? Surely not, but it's, but you're playing with fire. And I think it's, I think it's worth stating the grave consequences of playing with that fire. As far as like education when they're younger? Or just how accepting we are of like just casually having sex with a lot of people. I mean, look at dude, like I am not here advocating for celibacy or anything like that. Right. (laughs) Right. Like certainly not. And I don't want to put any limitations on anybody's freedom or whatever they feel like they want to do in life. You're in the right place for that. Continue to live your life the way you think you want to live it. But you have to know that you're playing with fire and you can't just go casually about this thinking, Oh, well, man, I'm not ready to be a dad and yeah, fucked up. And I have this here for me. It's like, no dude, that, that is a life. That is, it's here. It's created. The spark is boom. If that girl is pregnant, that is a life. And that has to be the way that we approach it, regardless of its legal status, because that's what it is. But that's almost looking at it from a religious standpoint. Like it's not a life until it's like cognizant in a way. Like a lot of people will argue that. Dude, absolutely not. Like I said, as soon as, 
as soon as that egg is fertilized, everything that you, me, and everybody else is was determined in that moment. That's not true. That's based That's on the circumstance of where you Did grow all up. All of no. your chromosomes were determined in that moment. Sure. But like who you are going to be as a person is, is hey man, based a tree on upbringing. Isn't a, a, tree, a seed isn't a tree until it's a tree, right? But a tree doesn't become a tree until it takes in the weather around it and, and it changes over time. Like you can't say you're everything you are at the conception. Like that's all based on your upbringing and your environment. Oh, no, no, no. That, I have zero religious argument towards abortion whatsoever. And I could make the argument, but I have none. It's all, it's all scientific. It's all been proven. All of it. If you if you can grow a baby in a lab from fertilization to 14 weeks and find a vertebrate, that means everything's there. It all exists in, in its form. And the only thing between that conception and a baby is time. Yeah, but the argument's that it's not a cognizant human being, though. Like, it doesn't know it's dying and... and you know that that that's the argument. It doesn't like it doesn't know that it's alive, and then you die. It's not like I'm getting, like oh I'm gonna die tomorrow. Like it's it's not that. So that's the argument to where you like have to separate like it. Well, no, it's a fetus becoming a life at some point and being hitting this fetal viability clause or whatever you want to call it up and like up until that point, up until 15 weeks even like they're trying to change it to like. Our law, even the people that are trying to ban abortions are even saying up until 15 weeks, it's not that like it's sure, it, you know, so like even the people that are against this are even giving it up to 15 weeks. So like just because it has a vertebrae and all these things, I, you know, at 14 days, I don't think that's a life as it would be when it's, a, you know, a actual human baby inside of a mom like it would be at 24 weeks. Well, right. But it's I mean, the process is there. It started for sure. It's not it's not any less a life. Just because it hasn't developed, I mean, the only, like I said, the only, the only difference between a developed fetus and an undeveloped fetus is time. So, mm-hmm. to me, if the process has already started, you have to approach it as a life. Now, if you want to go ahead and get this procedure done, and you understand fully what you're getting yourself, then fine. Right. You know, I, I'm not here if it's if it's legal and it's been legal for the past 40, 50 years. Hey, man, that that's all on you, but. Again, I think the way that we approach it hasn't been great. And that's why I hate the movement towards the um, towards making abortion illegal. Because then you get this bullshit, and it's not everybody that feels this way, but it's a lot of people who are on the, the fringe, um, you know, uh, activist end of this where they see that abortion's under attack and then they start telling people to start shouting their abortions and start being proud of it and start, you know, making it not, not a thing to be ashamed of. No, dude, like that should be something you should be ashamed of. A hundred percent. That is, that is not something that you should just casually walk in and, and, and think that it's okay to do. There should be way more thought put into that way more. There should be way more reverence for what that is and what it could be. Because it's life, man. It's like so rare. It's so rare that people live, you know, just statistically speaking, it's like. Sure. But like then like all you do is add to the huge problem that is our foster system and and adoption system. Like if those parents aren't going to want those kids and don't want to go through nine months to then just give it away and then add to a problem where you have so many people, kids that need help and need to get adopted. That's all publicly funded, by the way. Like all, you know, you just you would further instigate that problem if you make them all illegal. Like that's just going to spiral to where it's like we're hemorrhaging tax dollars to support a system that like 
the people that had the baby, prob- a lot of them didn't want to. Like they would have taken the abortion and, and taken the easier way, you know? Yeah, no, for sure. And and that's what I'm saying. Like I, I, I don't I don't think that the the fight towards making abortion illegal is the right way to go. And yeah. and in a perfect world we would have the ability to have this legalized and also have a little bit more respect for human life in that we don't you know, that we don't make it something that is like, you know, add a little more shame to it. You know, it should be a shameful thing a little bit, not a ton, but a little bit, particularly if it's something that you're escaping from in, in terms of like a one night stand or making a mistake or something like that. You know, it's like if we had a different attitude towards it, I don't. Th- I think we might be a little bit more ca- careful about how we went about our days, and how we decided to make decisions of, of surrounding sex. Just slightly. I mean, I'm asking for like five to ten percent better numbers on abortion. Like just five to ten percent less to me would just be like fantastic. I think. I think it would be a good reflection on, on like society as a whole if if that happened right because i again to the 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 beginning of of this segment it's never something somebody wants to do i don't think it's never somebody's somebody's like super juiced to be at Planned parenthood yeah right you know right right so we'll see yeah so anyway it's a it's a it's a touchy subject but but it it would be it's going to be very interesting to see how this one how this one pans out um i i I think I i think it's the wrong fight I think we should, we could, we, I think we could concentrate our efforts towards something a little bit less divisive and a little bit more conducive to positivity in our country. That's asking a lot for America these days, man. <laughs> you betcha. Especially with a cynical show like this. I don't know why anyone ever listens. Um, <laughs> uh, what else you got for us? Uh, so uh, Jeff Bezos had some uh, company in his lawn today uh, at several of his He houses. made a company on his lawn? He had company on his lawn that company I don't think were necessarily invited. Hmm. Um, millionaires uh, who have called on the rich to pay more taxes are la- launching protests in New York and Washington on Monday, uh, which is, happens to be tax day, uh, in front of the, the main one was Jeff Bezos' home. Uh, the efforts organized by the Patriotic Millionaires whose members boast annual incomes of over $1 million or assets that are worth $5 million. I like how it's Jeff Bezos's homes. Yeah. In oh, DC, yeah, yeah. in New York. <laughs> well, they didn't know what home he'd be at, so they just protested in front of both of them. You know what would be the most effective here is if a bunch mm. of millionaires just took a bunch of shits and paper bags and lit it on fire on Jeff Bezos's <laughs> homes, <laughs> porches. Don't That'd put it out fantastic. with your boots, Jeff. That would be great. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, so this, this group patriotic millionaires, um, it's made up of, of a bunch of people. You can actually, I'll, I'll post the link on our Twitter at friendship NH. Um, they actually post all the members that are there. They, they're by name, uh, all the main people, but one of them, Morris Pearl, who was like a former managing director at BlackRock. Uh, there's a couple of Disney's on there. George Zimmer, the men's warehouse dude. Ha! Uh, he's on there. Um, but ba- yeah, I mean, they're, they're basically just saying, uh, that they want, they're in favor of Senator Elizabeth Warren's uh, millionaire tax plan, which would put a 2% annual tax on wealth over 50 million. 
uh, which would then rise to 3% for wealth over $1 billion. Um, this is kind of also, also circulating around like how Biden recently said he, you know, like a corporate tax hike of 25 to 28% while proposing to raise the top income tax rate from 37% to 39.6%. Obviously, the Republicans are uh, very against this, and, and they're working now to kind of hash out that original bill that Biden uh, proposed, that $1.8 trillion bill. Uh, and from what I'm reading, they're actually making some progress. So I'm, I, we'll see how that shapes out, if they can kind of come together with a bipartisan bill. That'd be cool. Um, but... These guys not only were attacking Bezos, um, they have mobile bo- billboards that are going to make an appearance in front of uh, Mitch McConnell's Washington residence, uh, the offices of Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer in New York City, and D.C.-based places including the Chamber of Commerce, Business Roundtable, Heritage Foundation, Democratic National Committee, Americans for Tax Reform, the IRS, and former President Donald Trump's old post office hotel. Mm. Uh, their billboards say, cut the bullshit, tax the rich, tax the rich, save America. Yes, it's really that simple, uh, among some <laughs> other ones. So they are they, they started this today on tax day, just, you know, as a lot of people call out Amazon loopholes and, and things with Bezos. So we'll see if they make any ground. But it's interesting to read into. Like I said, I'll post the website uh, up on our Twitter. And you can check it out. Yeah, if you're, uh, if you're very much in favor of... Uh, taxing these and it's not i guess you could say it's taxing the rich but it, it's taxing the corporations right it's it's making sure that they pay their quote-unquote fair share of taxes mm-hmm. and i think the fundamental question is if you're in favor of the taxes then you more or less believe that that money going to the federal government can be divvied out and go to to doing more good than if it were to be sitting at Amazon and being used for their advancement. And if you're on the other end of it, you're saying, I believe that private equity does more good than, or excuse me. Yeah. Yeah. Money in the, in the, in the private sector does way more good than money in the public sector. And so I would rather that these guys put their money back into the economy the way they see fit versus giving it to the government and not knowing where it goes in the first place. Um, so I, I think that's more or less the, what it boils down to on each side. And, you know, I could see why you would be somebody like Jeff Bezos or even Elon Musk and say like, yeah, you know, this is how it's been. This is how we've structured our corporation. If you did this to us, it would fundamentally change everything about how we go about doing business and ruin us right like that would probably be their argument but that being said these guys are clearly always trying to be the most clever person in not paying taxes and when you see the amount of money that's involved with these people it's hard not to feel sort of slapped in the face because all you have to do is say like oh we pay our taxes how come these motherfuckers aren't paying their taxes? How, you know, the, how easy is it for us to like feel that sentiment when we see somebody like Jeff Bezos at Amazon and the however many trillions of dollars in revenue they went through and how many tax, how much, how much federal tax do they pay? You know, Zero. and I'm, and I'm getting, and I'm getting taxed at what percent, you know, mm-hmm. and the better you do personally, the better you do, the less, the less you keep. 
And so even when you're doing okay, that's probably when it hurts the most. Cause you're like, fuck dude, they're taxing me. They're taxing me left and right on everything. I'm seeing the better I do, the less I see. And these guys are paying zero. Yeah. I mean, it's, it, it's, it's easy to see that way. And I, I can understand why this movement has gotten so, 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 so big and so juiced up. Yeah. I mean, the timing is, is pretty perfect too, with, with all like the federal spending that they want to do. Like they, they almost need, I would think the left almost needs like a lot of this to go through because if not, like they're not going to be able to pay for any of the stuff they're proposing. So, you know, it's, I I see it from both sides. You know, I do think that if there's a a path, I don't necessarily trust the government, but if there's a path in place to make the education system better, and and we kind of, we definitely went into this before, but um, you know, that's, it's not just like, Hey, these guys should be taxed our federal government, you know, we deserve this money. And then there's no plan. Like at least there's like a plan in place that like on the surface, at least looks like it would help the American people by making our education system better, you know, and, and we can debate that one all day, but you know, that, that, is, that is something where I, you know, I'm not normally one to necessarily even trust the government, but where I'm here, I'm like, okay, well, I guess if there's a, pl- a clear cut plan for that money to go to, and it's benefiting a majority of people instead of a small percent of people that just get to sit on those profits. I, I can see, I can see that, you know, and a study came out uh, today uh, that said that U S millionaire CEOs saw a 29% pay raise last year in 2020, while the workers pay fell 2%. So um, basically the Institute for policy studies calculated that the average CEO compensation in 2020 was 15.3 million. And they found this by looking at a hundred companies with the lowest median wage for workers in the S and P 500 index. Mm-hmm. So you're looking at the 500, you know, best companies uh, in our industry in our economy, and they're looking at the bottom range of like, you know, these are obviously very profitable companies if they're in the top 500, but the people at the bottom of the ring aren't being taken care of. Uh, and and th- that's what they found, which it, it's it's pretty eye opening. And, and I mean, some of these comparisons, it's kind of hard because you're comparing like a CEO of a fast food company to a you know entry level job as mm-hmm. a fast food worker. That's very different jobs. So I, I definitely see that argument. Um, but for instance, uh, Hilton CEO Christopher, I think it's Nazetta, uh, he had a compensation package that was worth fifty five point nine million dollars in twenty twenty, which was the highest of all the executives analyzed in the report. Uh, but the median pay at for Hilton is twenty eight six hundred and eight dollars, uh, which the year before in twenty nineteen was forty three six ninety five. So that that's a huge shift uh, in, in that bottom range. Uh, Chipotle's board uh, removed the company's poor financial results from the peak of the shutdown and excluded COVID related costs when they calculated CEO Brian. Uh, Nichols compensation, he received $38 million last year, which is 2,898 2, times more than the company's median worker pay of $13,000. Hmm. Uh, David Gibbs, the CEO of Yum Brands, which is the parent company to KFC, Pizza Hut, Taco Bell, he ended up with a $1.4 million cash bonus and stock grant valued at more than 880000 after the company changed his performance metrics. The bonus was over twice the $900,000 of his salary. Gibbs announced he would forego to fund a $1,000 bonus to the general managers of his company's restaurants. And he did this last March. That's a very, that's an awesome thing. I got to shout him yeah. out. 
I'm not just bashing CEOs here. That's really cool to do that. You're going to pay out these people that are, you know, keeping the fight alive while, while it was at its worst. So that's amazing. Um, but his 2020 compensation was 14.6 million while the company's median pay was around $11,300. Once again, you're comparing CEOs to, you know, fast food workers. It's, it's a a really big gap. Um, but you know, it's, it's interesting info. It came out and I mean, it's, it's showing just a small chunk of this, of this huge, huge shift where you have a couple people that make all this money. And yeah, they're making huge situate, you know, they're making huge decisions for the companies and, and yada, yada, yada. But then you see this huge gap between like the normal everyday, the median income for working at that company, the, the people that really, you know, do the work, you know, and not necessarily um, play point, you know, and, or coach and, and like, you know, make the big moves. But the people that do the everyday work are kind of getting the shaft in a way. Um so just in, in kind of wrapping it up, the authors of the report urged support for a bill introduced in March by Bernie Sanders called the Tax Excessive CEO Pay Act, which would incentivize companies to narrow that gap between workers and those top executives uh, by imposing a tax rate on companies with, the, with a high gap. Uh, publicly traded companies are required to report the ratio between their CEO and median worker pay to the Securities and Exchange Commission, the SEC, as part of a 2010 Dodd-Frank Wall Street Reform and Consumer Protection Act. This is being carried out right now in Oregon. They already said they, they on a small scale, and I think it's like 153 companies donated, uh, paid a shit ton of money in, in taxes, basically, because of this. Um, but, you know, I mean, then that money goes back into the communities and, and can make their lives better in some way, hopefully with roads, schools, whatever. So just, just some interesting info I found from a report today, but it just kind of like echoes that sentiment of, you know, a lot of people or select number of people are making most of the money while the bottom end are kind of suffering in a way. I mean, it's a jarring visual, right? When you, when you put something up like $15.3 million next to 13,000, right? And that's median. That's not like the lowest end. That's like the middle average earning of your workers who, by the way, make the ship run now unfortunately ceos are paid to steer a ship and sometimes that ship includes the you know the ever improvement of your employee's life and sometimes it just means making sure that you navigate the treacherous waters of whatever your industry is in a effective manner uh, so as to not sink the entire ship. Because if the entire ship goes down, then a whole lot more people are going to be hurt. Now, mm-hmm. the pinnacle of capitalism is a company that can all at once move in a way that benefits all the people that have a stake in their company. And you look at a company like Costco, right? They are built so that everybody has any opportunity they want to fulfill whatever career goals that they have. They pay exceptionally well and their customer service is number one. They treat the communities that they're in very well. They are charitable. They are very profitable and they check every box, right? And if your company is not Costco and you're not 
built, structured to do that. Yeah, Whole Foods is another good example. If you're not structured mm-hmm. to do that, it's almost impossible to make that goal happen. So while the visuals of this are very jarring. By visuals, you mean numbers? The numbers. The numbers when you yeah. compare a, a median worker pay to the pay of the person that is running that company. You know, mm-hmm. it, it almost, it's almost impossible not to feel some sort of way towards what that, what that means for those, because at the end of the day, they're just still people. How did you get to that point? And, but again, you know, I think we, I think we like to fill in a lot of blanks about what's going on. And when you're, when you're a CEO of a company, like one of the top 100 companies in the S and P 500, your pay more or less is justified from the job that you have. Mm-hmm. And I will, in, in, except in extreme circumstances, I'm always going to be a, a believer in that. I, I, I think people underestimate you know, terribly how hard of a job it would be to be an exe- the, the chief executive of one of these companies, right? Oh, yeah. you, might, you might be like, well, what are you talking about? You know, paid million dollars. How hard could it be? It's like, well, all right, man, you know. That that's a, that that's a responsibility that you know you're you're waking up every day and you're responsible for, you know. All of everybody that works for you, you are responsible for making sure that that doesn't change in one friggin' instant, right? Pulling all these levers, um, but you, again, you have to look at what. It, it's hard. To, it's hard to hear like a bill like the one that Bernie Sanders wants to come out with. That's just this just wholesale cut in compensation for, for CEOs. No, no, no. It's not a cut in, in their compensation. It's a tax to the company, to the corporate. It's tax in the corporation based on that CEO to median wage ratio. Okay. So it's just okay. saying like, if that is the case, then we're going to tax you guys this much. And that money goes like they're doing in Oregon to, you know, this, the state, the city, whatever. Uh, yeah, I'd just rather put a, have them put a cap on compensation then because if you're just going to tax it, that means you're just taking money away from the corporation. You don't know what they would have done with that money. Right. And if you're saying they're paying their CEOs too much, how? As compared to the, the median compensation of their employees, well, how many employees do they have? <laughs> you know, if you're mm-hmm. Walmart and you're, right. you have, they're high, you're the biggest employer in the country, what's the median pay of somebody at Walmart? I don't know. But if it's low, it wouldn't surprise me because you employ half the country. You know, so it's like this one foul swoop deal. Uh, it, it doesn't sit well with me because it, it, again, you're not, you're attacking injustice with just more injustice, but you can't call it injustice because you're taking money away from CEOs. And how can that be an injustice? Or you're taking money away from, uh, you know, a multinational corporation. How can that be an injustice? They have the money. You know what I mean? The attitude around it is a little weird, but, um, I'll, I'll never not be in favor of uh, paying your employees more money. I think the evidence is out there that the more you pay your employees, the better it is for you and your investors. Almost always. Absolutely. So do that, please. Just, I mean, I th- and just as a, as a business owner or somebody who runs a business, you know, it, it's time and time again has been proven that you take care of your, your workers in the best way that you know how, uh, you're going to be better off for it in the long run. Yeah, I think instead of maybe having these tax incentives or these tax things to, you know, based on your ratio or maybe upping all these big taxes on corporations, like maybe just have put that money back into your employees, set up some kind of structure, some kind of advancement structure so that there's based goals of payment 
based on, you know, performance or time spent and yada, 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 invest back into your employees. You're still investing into your company. You're not just throwing money away to a government. You're investing in the people that make it all happen. Obviously, you need the CEO. You need someone to steer that ship. But and that's but that's a problem of demonizing the rich because then you you can't never tell what one person is doing with the money that that they have. You know, if you pay a Costco CEO the 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 amount of money extra, whatever the gap is between the median worker and and his compensation, but you know that Costco is taking all of these angles to make sure that their their profit is being reinvested in their company to to make sure that everybody that's involved in their success is being taken care of and you're still able to pay your CEO some ungodly wage, then yeah, do it. I mean, you're, you have the ability to do it, but if you're not taking a look at what these companies are doing, then you're just saying, if they're doing that, then obviously there's a problem. There shouldn't be this gap and we need to do something about it. And it's like, but the problem comes that in 2020, a year when you saw a global plant pandemic, USO, U U S millionaire CEOs saw a 29% pay raise while the workers saw a 2% decrease. I don't think the CEOs needed that 29% pay raise as much as maybe the workers did. You're probably right, but that CEO is has his job for however long he has his job, not for one year. So if you're a CEO and you're able to navigate whatever the fuck COVID was for your company and make it out the other end positively, like I said, they're not beholden right. to make sure that they give their 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 employees pay raises. And, you know, if I'm thinking of it from a strictly, uh, uh, sense numbers and dollars perspective, if my employees were employed during this time, then one, they're better off than, than all the other people who got laid off. And two, you know, if, if their standard of living didn't change, but our company took a giant hit through COVID yet, we were still able to maintain whatever semblance of our company that we had before and we have it now. I mean, bravo, job well done. I, I don't see why that person doesn't deserve a raise. Yeah, but he could take that $15 million he made in one year and live off that if he you know, invested and spent it correctly for the rest of his life, potentially. Whereas someone that's making a medium wage of 28 k like they found in the study, you could barely live one year off that money if you wanted to. So it's like, I, I, I totally see what you're saying and you're right. But I also think that like, the people that, you know, still came to work while there's this recession going on. Maybe they still had their kids trying to, you know, home from school and they had to figure that out and yada, yada, all these people with all these circumstances, the people that really kept this thing going are, saw a 2% decrease while the guys at the very top saw, you know, a 30% raise. It's just, I, I don't know. When I look at those numbers, I just, I, I see, I hear what you're saying. I don't, I don't think you're wrong, but it, like, it just doesn't make sense to me. No, it's hard to justify a life-changing amount of money. Right. Going to one person while us, the public in one way, shape or form, I didn't lose my job. I had a great job during the pandemic. I still felt the effects of the pandemic and I'm single with no kids. You know, it affected right. me almost none, but I felt it. I mean, I'm feeling, you know, my family and you get scared of it. All these things that happened during the pandemic that suck. You feel these things. And you know, and I know people who have gotten laid off, who had trouble finding work, who had to go on unemployment for the first time in their life, had to, you know, go through the whole bullshit of doing all that. And then you hear a story about rich people getting way richer. Yeah. And you're like, what the? F yeah, no, dude, it's hard <laughs> to justify that amount of money going yeah. to one person. I agree. Um, you know, but I also understand what it takes to do that job. 
Right. And I, you know, I, I can't not think of that too, you know, and that's why they're in it, you know, and what's going to incentivize people to go through. I'm, I'm sure it wasn't, I don't know. I'm sure it wasn't fun for, for a CEO to go through COVID neither, but they, they had it, they had it way better, obviously. Yeah. Nobody's if they lose their job, I think they got enough to fall back on. Um, <laughs> Well, anyway, we're getting we're getting close to the end here, but I, I want to touch on the story real quick about uh, uh, France taking control of their their language. Damn it! Um, yeah. they, they banned the use of of using and teaching gender neutral grammar. So I guess in America it would be the equivalent of saying um, we don't have gender gendered language, but it would be like this Latinx bullshit, you know. Oh, we, it's Latino or Latina and, and oh, you, know, gotcha. Latin, yeah. you know what I'm saying? Yep. It's, like, dude, it's yeah, a romance language. They're all based on like on gender, basically, dude, all of them. Right. It has, like, has nothing to do with a, 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 any sort of, uh, I guess, slight against men or women or anything like that, or even that it just uses, you know, the genders that we always use up until about five years ago. But, but if, essentially, the officials in France were like, look, if we decide that we're going to not use gendered language, it would forever defeat the French language. And like, it's obvious. It's like, it's just as much being French as, as any part of being French is speaking the language. And so they, they saw that their, their language was under attack by people who wanted to remove the gendered. Um, I don't speak a lick of French man at all, but, you know, like you said, it's a romance language. It has uh, feminine and masculine words, and the the more left of the bunch in French were like here in America, trying to change the language so that it didn't gender things. And French were like, "Nah, not gonna happen." So in, it's it's in schools, uh, grammar in schools, and um, I don't think anything governmental. No, just schools. No. Yeah, it was it's based off of uh, Academy Francois, which they basically like guard the French language and they it wasn't like the school the French school system like said this is what we're doing now and then these guys stepped in. It was just they saw in a lot of schools that a lot of teachers uh, we're doing like, for example, the word amis and I, Sarah's going to kill me for the trend, like how I, I, how I just pronounce that. I think the S is ami. Yeah. So that means friends. It would be spelled as we would spell it, A-M-I-S. The way that it was being taught in schools, in, in some schools, by some teachers that were just trying to be inclusive, was A-M-I dot E dot S, which would include both the masculine and feminine way to say that word. You still say it on me. If it was, you would spell it wrong, but if it was A-M-E-S, that would be a feminine word, I'm guessing. Correct. Yes, that so the, it would be the e is the female, whatever how you whatever pronounce it. So, I guess if you're if you're if you're close to Spanish, it would be like saying, um, like spelling the like spelling trash basura. It would be like b a s u r a dot o. But you would still call it basura. But you would spell it, adding both the male and female connotation to it. Right. And and basically what God, what stupid what this academy is saying, uh, and and what they're going forth with is it, I mean, French is based off Latin, which has been around for thousands of years. The French language, like as it's known, as it kind of started to separate itself from Latin, came around like the ninth century. So this is something that's been around for thousands, hundreds of years. 
we we I don't think we should change this with the changing of the times necessarily. And, and there's still ways in their language to have inclusive things like they and referring to things like group, just like you see it in like Spanish. Um, but huh. if we start doing this to our spellings, it basically it's it's a threat to our our language as we've always known it, and and we got to stop this now. Listen to this: um, the French president. Emmanuel Macron said that his country would continue to resist certain social science theories entirely imported from the United States as they posed a threat to France's cultural heritage. Quote, hmm. there's a battle to wage against the intellectual matrix from American universities, end quote. Oh, I love it. <laughs> I love it. Just the French out Frenching us. Fantastic, man. I, I couldn't agree more. I, I couldn't agree more. It, it, it's... It's, it's the, like the total overhaul of a language to fit a very small minority of people who want to scream at the rooftops that they're oppressed and offended uh, by it and that it's uh, unaccepting of whatever deep down divide that we all have for men and women. I don't know, man. Ridiculousness. So I'm, I'm glad to see it. it. It, you know, other than just being absurd on its face it's a it's a good step in fighting this bullshit where you know if you get offended by the connotation of masculine or feminine or you think that that should be some something that goes by the wayside then you know bravo to you for ha having that problem in your life and, and having to focus on that problem because people have real problems to focus on that's not a real problem so if that's your problem and that's one thing that you get jacked up about well you have a very uh, uh, charmed life. Where I want to be inclusive for sure. We don't want to make anyone feel left out. And if you feel differently, tell us to fuck ourselves. Write in bummerdude.media and let us know. And and maybe we're just not seeing a side of this. But I, I do. I think I think France is in the right here, and I think they're they're doing what is right for their language and their heritage. You know, and and like Frank kind of touched on at the beginning, we got to look at it through their eyes because this is a French decision. It is not an American one, which it seems to be very prevalent here. And and. We're seeing that a lot in our society, but it is it is a French decision on French policy and on a French language. So you, you got to kind of look at it from that lens. And we're a, look at we're a net exporter of shit. <laughs> That's what we export now to France. We export shit. They don't even want what we have. Yeah, Hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, Al, tell them where they can find us. As always, you can find us on Twitter at FriendshipNH, on Instagram and Facebook at Friendship News Hour, and you can always write us a beautiful email at bummerdo.media at gmail.com, and we'll be sure to get back to you. We'd love to hear from you. Um, great episode today, Frank. I thought you did a great job, just so you know. Well, thanks. <laughs> I think you did adequately. Do you want to do this again on Wednesday, perhaps? Oh, yeah. I'll be there. All right. I'll see you then. All right, brother. All right.